0: This episode of Earl Gray is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com Trek FM.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM.
2: T. Earl Grey, hot.
0: It's time for another serving of Earl Grey, our dedicated TNG show. I'm Daniel Prue, sitting in the center chair this week. Joining me, as always, are my two co-hosts, one to my left and one to my right, Darren Moser and Philip Gilfus. Guys, how are you doing this week? I feel
2: like a warrior race.
0: Um, my
3: my legs have been hurting. I, I've been getting these kind of varicose veins. Um, I think it's from standing up too long. Um, does anyone have like a <laughs> chair or something? No, <laughs>
2: Philip. It, it really You've asked us every week. No, you're not. This getting is only a chair. season two of Earl Grey, Philip. It's at least <laughs> till like it's gonna be a while i can't even put a date on it till you get a chair is
3: there like a dr shoal or a dr crusher (laughs) insert i don't know what we use here
0: (laughs) she's the head of Starfleet medical Uh, dr shoal so guys listen we we need reinforcements this week we are going to talk about a subject so huge that we can't do it on our own uh so I've, I've, I've brought the ship into orbit here on Deep Space Nine, and we are joined tonight by uh, the crew of the Orb. We have Matthew Rushing and Christopher Jones. Guys, welcome to the Enterprise.
1: Well, thank you for having us here. Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: Yes. So, so we're going to talk about gorges. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
4: Uh, I'm just worried of.
1: because you said a Beverly Crusher insert, and Matthew's here, <laughs> and I don't know if that's going to derail the whole conversation or not.
4: Not going not gonna to lie, uh, it's my favorite insert. <laughs> it
0: may be the last time she is mentioned on this episode. So are I you gelling, Matt?
3: Up. Are you gelling?
4: Oh,
0: I'm gelling. <laughs> so what topic could require two crews to talk about? Well, um, as, as our listeners are well aware, uh, once TNG went off the air and Generations was over, uh, Worf went to Deep Space Nine. So we're going to do kind of a double header thing here and we are this episode is going to be all about warf on TNG. Double head is that a ridge joke? <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Is that, that really like a double really t- That's ridgest. <laughs> That's ridgest oh, well, exactly.
4: Why are you talking about George Lucas on this show? This is a Star Trek show.
0: <laughs> so let's start and get a quick just I mean this is a huge topic of course, but I just want to get like when you think Worf, guys, what do you think? Let's, let's give our guess. Chris, you go first. Like, What is the first thing that pops into your head?
1: Well, the first thing would probably be honor because that's what he talks about all the time. But beyond that, it's a character who is searching for his identity pretty much the whole time we see him, even though he's the longest running character.
0: Yes, that's right. Something I, sh- I should have mentioned right, right off the top. This is this character appears. I think it was two hundred and seventy three, or something like that. And uh, behind him was another TNG character moved to Deep Space Nine. Was was Miles O'Brien? But this is the biggest character, uh, volume wise. Anyways, well, episodes wise, I guess, uh, in Star Trek. So you're absolutely right. What about you, Matthew? What what
4: does Worf conjure up in your head when just just instant? kind of response. You know, honestly, the first thing that I think of when I think of Worf is when he's in the red outfit when he's getting married to to Gen Zia. I always just think of those two and that that wedding because it was the first time we'd seen like a Klingon wedding and it was just a really big deal. Uh, it, it's actually the first time on on screen we'd ever seen uh, you know a Star Trek character get married. And so uh, that really left a big impression for me and for Worf mainly because you know he he got married. I mean he he moved forward. He, he had a big whole life change. So uh, to me that's strangely the first thing that always comes into my mind is is him and Dax getting married.
1: So you mean a lead character getting married? Yeah. Yeah, obviously.
4: There's there's been other, yeah. okay, other there are other weddings go. lead so, character, yeah. But but yeah.
0: But, uh, but I actually I, didn't quark and that klingon technically get married for uh wasn't that on screen like wasn't that technically a klingon wedding before uh that was a
2: vegas klingon wedding yeah yeah it was yeah, definitely
0: I'm yeah, they just, just went to ryza it. you know and hooked up <laughs> yeah. uh i'm teasing but uh what philip what about you uh wharf
3: let's see when you say wharf the first thing i think is no <laughs> Oh, i mean um but no i think with worf it's in some ways he's a and i know this is going to sound weird a comforting stereotype that when it comes to worf it's like he is he's the warrior he's the guy that's that's going to be shooting the weapons he's the guy that's going to be you know bringing the aggression but I mean, I say a stereotype, a stereotype that he created. I mean, there's no, you know, if you didn't have Worf, you will not be like, oh, that's a Worf. No, but like, I know he's sort of that comfortable kind of, you know, the glove or whatever. Like, okay, Worf, yes, I know what I'm getting. This is gonna be, this is gonna be cool. And then it's also gonna be this whole big um, Klingon background and culture and concepts and struggle. That's all there too. But but so I th- I think I just get that sort of comfort, like, ah, oh, Worf's here. All right, things are gonna be good.
4: So you're saying that when <laughs> Worf's on screen, you just riddle, really are thinking #hashtag the struggle, <laughs> <laughs>
3: the warrior struggle. That's right. We didn't have any of these security problems on the
0: Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, save that for the yeah, yeah, just think of that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, what about kept you, there? Uh,
2: what do you, you? First got? thing I always think of is uh, nice house, good tea. And it it just reminds me that Worf had a sense of humor. You know, he he was a Klingon, and and before him, you know, we'd, we'd seen a lot of, like, rough Klingons, but, you know, Klingons can laugh. Klingons, uh, you know, have, like Chris said, a, a deep sense of honor, and that ties in to just a lot of personality. He was a character who often, you know, was reacting to things and sometimes was very much in a character box, but other times he really uh, gave heart to the moment. And I really, I really enjoy this character.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I actually, I'm kind of li- with you, Darren, one of the first things I think of when I think of Worf is how often he's used for, you know, and, and how brilliant Michael Dorn is with comedic timing. And, and some of the best one-liners in Star Trek are Worf, are Worf lines. And, uh, but, but on the other hand, on the other, to totally other hand of it, like a lot of his episodes are, really serious and actually d- delve into a lot of really big issues. So, so yeah, he's kind of a double edged sword for me. Like, um, a, bat, like a bat lift, <laughs> a bat lift. Yeah. makes sense. Right. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to, you know, I just wanted to get everybody's first impressions from, from now on. We're just going to just jump in guys. I, and I want to talk right now about, uh, kind of the construction of the character and early Wharf. So season one, warf. And of course in, in far point, uh, we see him in red, uh, and he's cling on in shit, red. Is <laughs>
4: exactly. dancing with me,
0: and in and the back, very, <laughs> yeah. And very early on, we get the death of um, that lady. Who guys, help me out here. Who yeah. that lady? <laughs> you know, um, yar yar yes. yeah. No, thank that's you. the one. <laughs> uh,
3: I was going to say Guinan. Okay, I didn't know who.
0: And I, I actually think this. The, a lot of people maybe not think of it as much as I do, or maybe they do, and we just don't talk about it a lot, but Yar dying is the catalyst for Worf, Worf becoming this insanely popular, insanely important character. Because beforehand, I mean, he was around occasionally and had something to say, but how different would, would Star Trek have been, all of Star Trek, if, if we kept Tasha on? What would have happened to Worf? Well, I don't
1: know if I would say that's the catalyst for Worf becoming an insanely popular character. I think it it opened the door for him to become the character that we know today and the role that he played on the show. But Worf was a late addition to the next generation in the first place and was really a token character at the beginning. And it's just this idea that oh, oh yeah, there's a there's a Klingon on the show because the Federation and the Klingon Empire are their friends now. But I think most of all because of Michael Dorn and his Portrayal of the character it became very popular. So I have a feeling that even if Yar had stayed on, they would have still found a way for Worf to grow into one of the lead characters.
3: Yeah, I I think you know, as we've said before, especially in our season one show, that um, like Roddenberry didn't want a Klingon because there was that whole we, we've done that we're not doing any of the stuff we did before. But Bob Justman was the one who wanted to do that whole you know we you know we're at peace with Klingons, let's show it, let's have that presence be you know obvious like oh my gosh there's an enemy except they're, they're not an enemy anymore but like we mentioned even no matter where they thought that character was going to go once you put a klingon on the bridge you're gonna have to address klingon culture at some point mm-hmm. in the series you know it's like you know once you put a trill on a station you can't like ignore the trill society for seven years no you're gonna have to address it so you know we were gonna definitely hear something about klingons whether it was you know war's character or something but i i think well, the, that that seed was definitely i would planted. also say
1: that you could put another alien on the bridge and maybe you could get away with this is just a background character that is sitting on the bridge from time to time but if you put a klingon on the bridge then absolutely the fans are going to demand to know more about that
4: well and it i mean especially i think back to the the original series, you know, you put Spock on the bridge, but if you kind of like count up all the things that you actually know about Vulcan society, it's a really short list. You know, um, you don't really know a whole lot about them, but you, yeah. you know, you do put this Klingon on here. We know a little bit about them from the original series. And then of course the movies, um, they play an even bigger role and they became, I think even bigger characters. Uh, I think, you you are going to have to tell us something about this character sometime. Um, and I, you know, I think about to watching the first season of TNG. Like that was my question. Like why is this Klingon here, and and you know what led to all of this, and how does this go down? And and I mean, it creates a ton of questions automatically that I, as a fan, at, at that point, just wanted to know about. Um, And then, of course, you know, Ron Moore runs away with it in creating, you know, the vast Klingon culture that we we kind of know today. And it's it it turns out to be one of the um, races that we end up knowing the most about in Star Trek. Um, You know, as long as Vulcans have been there, we didn't know that much until really, honestly, Enterprise came along. You know, um, TNG and Deep Space Nine are the ones that really built what we know Klingons to be and we kind of retroactively put that back on the T- TOS show and the movies now. Um, but it was really TNG that started that. And then deep space nine that finished it, you know, it's, you, you put those two things together and that's where we get Klingon. So I think it's, it's, it's a pivotal thing. And I think Daniel, there's probably some validity to the, having the fact that, you know, Yar being such a terribly written character. They have no idea what to do with her. And, and Denise Crosley decides to leave, um, it is fate, whatever you want to call it, that, that Michael Dorn is so good that you could put him there and he becomes the character that we all know and love. Because, you know, if I mean, if the guy had sucked, we, we, we wouldn't be talking about him.
0: And There's two important Klingon questions that were, were never answered.
4: Jahua <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh
0: We don't know why did he switch from the gold to the silver sash. And uh, what the heck was up with that chair in his quarters, man? Where does that come from? I don't understand.
1: Well, I think the gold to silver, it was kind of a mistake. You know, he he was not the leader. He was a member of the crew. As we know from the original Battlestar Galactica, only the leader got to be a gold Cylon and the other Cylons were silver. So he was forced to switch to the silver sash. Picard was just not going to have that gold on him. Uh, I think it's (laughs) happened.
2: Chris has been on so many podcasts. He's starting to fracture (laughs) Well, and I think Michael Dorn had, you know, not just creating this role, but had a huge task in season one, especially in season one, because, you know, everyone knows, I mean, season one is kind of a rough season, everyone is getting into their groove, Uh, a lot is still not clicking yet. And I mean, it seems like every other line he's given in the beginning is, well, but captain, I'm a Klingon warrior. I can't, I can't turn away from battle. And it's like, okay, there's gotta be more to this character than, than just this warrior aspect. So he's not only creating his season one character in this show called Star Trek, but also, you know, how am I, you know, reacting as this different race and there's, you know, what history we we have from the movies and you know tos at that point so yeah definitely props to to Michael Dorn for weathering that first season as well as the the other crew
4: so how Klingons got their groove back
2: (laughs) 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 don't let's not talk about Enterprise
3: um um, but I think like that was sort of the subtlety though because I think with the first season when you look at Heart of Glory um episode it's like okay we're gonna do our Klingon episode and Okay, that's, an, you know, with, with Von Armstrong, right, because he's everywhere um, as the Klingon. But it was sort of like, you know, Worf meets a Klingon, and Picard and Riker are like, do you think he'll stay loyal? I mean, like, really? I mean, that's kind of racist, honestly. <laughs> um, but, uh, it, but but, it, but
1: I, from the fan perspective, that's what fans are thinking.
2: mm mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I I I just thought like that was sort of like our first like we're doing Klingons and ugh. but I thought we certainly uh, that's why I don't like think of it as the real first Klingon episode. <laughs> it's like the the and baby it, step.
0: It's yeah. interesting too that we talk about Worf as as representative of Klingons because as we learn later on in TNG and then much much later on in Deep Space 9, he's not very representative yeah. uh, of actual Klingons. He's he's just what he wishes Klingons would be or what he, or what he read that Klingons were. Yeah, right. What you he, know, he has an idealized uh, yeah. you know, version of Klingons in yeah. his head.
2: Kern on the ship, that was a representation of a Klingon.
0: Yeah. Kern was good. I liked Kern. Well, that's perfect segue, Darren. Thanks. All right. Let's talk about <laughs> the myriad of relationships that, uh, that Worf had probably, I, I was going through it and I was thinking, cause we, we talked about data and how he just started developing Family members. They, they came out of the woodwork, yeah. <laughs> and, but Worf definitely has a lot of different uh, relationships. And Are we going to go we'll about Torf? With... <laughs> no, we're not talking about that. <laughs> Let's talk about um, his, his family first. So uh, his Klingon family. So we we we, we meet Kern and then uh, and Kalar, right, who becomes his his girlfriend slash almost wife or whatever. Baby mama. But, um, his baby mama. Yeah. <laughs> his baby mama, right? Exactly. And uh, how do you guys feel about the Klingons that we get in direct contact through through Warp? Do we like Kern? Do we like... I mean, nobody likes Alexander, so we can ignore him. <laughs> um, Kalar, do we like... How, how do you guys feel about those, those kinds of characters?
4: I always loved Kalar. I thought she was a really interesting character. Um, it was a little bit disappointing that, you know, she isn't on more... Uh, With the show I I thought uh, It added a lot because She's not a a, You know the prototypical Klingon Either she she's you know fighting Against that that stereotype Herself um, and and very Much her own person so I thought that was really interesting And yeah I thought his Brother was great addition as well And and it was interesting because he's also Somebody that shows up later in deep space Nine too and so it's a It's a character that has a long uh, Lifespan and Um you know, unfortunately or fortunately, whatever, you know, Kalar gives us uh, Alexander and they just don't know what to do with that character either. You know, um, I don't know why on TNG they kept creating children because they didn't know how to write children at all. <laughs> Wesley shouldn't have been there. Uh, you know, apparently they have no idea what to do with Alexander once he's there. You know, um, children are just a nuisance on, on TNG. Um, so it's just very funny that they were like, let's give Worf a son. Oh, wait, and Jeremy asked her too, but we'll never see him again. You know, like, it, it's just, it, it is really funny. You know funny. who was
1: really, really jealous of Alexander was Jeremy. And, and actually, Alexander was also jealous of Jeremy because Jeremy got to actually bond with Worf. And Alexander, you know, if he dropped by, it was kind of an inconvenience <laughs> for Worf.
4: Well, now, I'm now, dating now, Troy. Go away. After what, what,
3: what Matthew just said, Chris, I'm, I'm starting to visualize. When you all started your podcast, did he sit you down and say, Chris, I'm not a family man, yet they've given me a show with children on board, and it's your job to make sure.
1: <laughs> no,
4: well, see, I think you actually – Our you know, show has, has Nog and Jake, and yeah. those kids are great. No,
1: it's a case where – so like many Deep Space Nine fans, I was not a big fan of Jake – going into it but after doing 75 whatever episodes of The War with Matthew I've come to appreciate Jake a lot more because of Matthew I think it's a it's a situation where is it appropriate for children to be in the setting of the show and then what do the writers do with them and to have children on a show you have to be telling a story where you're you're really they have to be able to grow up right you have to be able to evolve that and because the nature of the next generation is an episodic style of writing where the primary focus isn't on the characters it's about where they're going in the situation that they find themselves in on this planet and then you tell another story the next week it's hard to develop children in that situation unless it's wesley who is there and he like automatically is there to help the crew get out of situations from the beginning
2: well i think uh Jake Sisko really reached his full potential in char 's fan fiction of going off on the u s s voyager but <laughs> oh, but no but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of you know again to to talk also about Kern and his relationship, I mean we saw him all, and we'll we'll talk about it later on his d s nine appearances because he shows up uh family just keeps showing up for Worf. but uh i i can 't ever not think of Kern. And think of our first podcast we ever did, bird of prey selfies, where I apparently did not know anything about Kern, and I was like, boy, wouldn't it have been great if they had done the same exchange program with a Klingon later. And it wasn't until like months later, where I'm watching this episode, I'm like, dang it, that's exactly what they did. I'm supposed to have watched this show. Shoot, now people are gonna realize. Dang, I'm just a, I'm a closet Trekkie. No, you know I.
1: I will say about Kern that I think that it was important to establish that Worf has a brother who actually is on Kronos, who is within the normal Klingon system, because you don't want to portray Worf as being a complete outsider. Like If Worf is a Klingon who grew up in Ukraine and reads books about Klingons and has no connection to the Klingon Empire at all anymore over the entire course of his run on Star Trek, that's not very interesting. He's he's not a Klingon. He's completely an outsider. But when, he, when you establish that he still has family and has connections within the Empire, then you can do a lot more with his story and you can develop his character. So, like, I don't know if I'm a huge fan of Kern. Like, if, if you're asking me to name Klingons, who I think are great Klingons, I don't know that I'm going to go to Kern and put him on the list. But the role he plays within giving them the ability to develop Worf's character, I think, was really important.
0: And, well, the thing you have to remember about Kern is he was, he was totally willing to have replicated dead bird meat, and that you know that's that shows a lot of uh, character, yeah. uh, you know, development. No, but seriously, so all of these, so uh, I think a theme we're going to come across uh, both of these episodes is Worf can't have nice things. He just can't. So if if something good happens to Worf, it's going to get taken away in the within six months. I'm sure and, there's a uh, parallel
2: universe where good things happen to Worf. He just we just don't see that version. <laughs> we we like, did see it in parallel. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs>
0: Kind of, kind of, but even in parallels, even in parallels, when he wins first place at this ch- at this championship, it gets first. Then he's like, "Oh, I won third place," and then he gets, "Oh, uh, I guess I helped." Or what is it? What is the uh, the award you get for participation? Participation award. And,
3: and then uh, he ends up going into the get uh, into the reality where he doesn't get a birthday cake. I don't want to live that in that universe. <laughs> I want the birthday cake. Um, but like you know, Matthew kind of said at the beginning, but. When you're talking about repeating themes with Worf, I think what you're saying, Daniel, is the struggle. I mean, his struggle with his son, that never works out. Because, like, on Deep Space Nine, Alexander's, like, slipping on banana peels or something. Um, You have Kalar, right? That doesn't work out. You have um, Kern. That doesn't work out. By the end of it, you know, because he's like, oh, I want to be with them. And then by the point and then that messes up, Um, you know, the whole Klingon identity throughout TNG and DS9, too. But throughout TNG, like I want to be part of the world. Oh, I got kicked out. Oh, I'm back in. But now I'm back, you know, and then that doesn't work out. You know, his real parents, which we'll talk about. I mean, that that does work out for the most part. But I mean, you know, like he said, anything he gets just doesn't last. He's never happy maybe, which Diana, maybe that doesn't
4: work out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, let's not forget Jed Zia as well. Yeah, right? she's, she's, yeah. She doesn't work out either, so works, everything works good out, in his life falls just, apart. Spoilers, she dies. <laughs> well, Kalar works out, but spoilers, yeah. so he gets Alexander on <laughs> yeah. it. So. And she dies <laughs> <No>. as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, she, and she does. Uh, so, yeah, let's move towards, um, a, as we because in the beginning we're not really aware of what exactly his background is but but as we learn more about it you know this Romulan massacre and he's taken in by humans um so it's i don't know if like maybe they were trying to do Spock but a little different but it's very different and he was raised by humans and we meet them of course in family and i know we've we've talked extensively about family before and how how great that episode is and and even the Wharf part, which a lot of people don't think about necessarily the first time they're thinking about family, is a really strong element of that episode, and uh, we all love it. Um, I wish we got to see a little bit more of it because those parents are really great people, and and it kind of makes sense why Wharf is kind of the way he is. So, do you guys uh, also uh, appreciate the, his mom and his father? You know,
4: I think I, I think it was one of those storylines where they. They gave you just enough, um, but it it you did want more in the, in the story. Um, I think just Worf's background in general. You know, he has such kind of this um, superhero tragic background. You know, his parents are killed while he's young, and um, he's raised by uh, other people. And it's almost like he's the Superman of of. I was say and Trek. the power from the Earth Sun exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, which. You you kind of expect it to be, and you know, Worf turns out to be really strong, honorable, brave, all those things. Um, so he does kind of have this superhero background. Um, it just make me made me wish when you're watching Family that we got a little bit more um, because, it, and it it was interesting too because I don't know all Klingons don't have this problem, but Worf has this problem of not being able, like you said, being able to have nice things but it's like he almost doesn't even want them. He keeps pushing them away. Like people are nice to him. He pushes them away. You know, like uh other klingons don't have that problem. They 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 enjoy life. They're big and bold and, you know, uh, crazy. And and Worf is so reserved. Sometimes he he really misses uh out on on what's right in front of him, uh, especially I think even with his parents there. You could, he's just so reserved. He's he's not really appreciating what they've done for him in 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 the way that you might think he might. Um, Well, I think
1: that probably stems from his feeling that he doesn't belong anywhere. He's someone that's caught between cultures. He really doesn't have a home. He doesn't know what his identity is.
3: Yeah, I mean, it is a tragic tale because he has these loving adopted parents. We'll just call them his parents who allow him to explore who he is. You know, rogue pie and all that, (laughs) Um, which, A, I mean, that's a lot of credit. They could have just been like, you're human now. You're growing up human. Deal with it. But they didn't. They said, you know, whatever. Um, but then he's cast out into the world having to find out who he is and what he is. And and it's really just a tragic tale throughout his whole stories. I mean, he never fits in. On the Enterprise, I mean, he's a lot more sociable than he appears to be. Um, but he is. But, you know, he's, his, his role in TNG almost is to show what humans aren't. Like, this isn't – he's not human. D- don't mistake that Orph is human because he's not. He'll let the Romulan die. He has no problem with that. <laughs> You know, you know, and 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 he he he'll kill himself when he gets injured. He'll do that. You know, he is not human. You know, and so I think that that's sort of his role to continuously to remind us he's not human. And then later, which maybe we can talk about, he's also not Klingon. And you know, all the examples we see through that. So,
0: yeah, the the man without a without a planet. I guess right.
2: I can't stand I to fly. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> what is funny though,
4: like, because being him, he he's never okay with just being himself. I don't think until very much later on, you know, m- m- closer to the end of Deep Space Nine. It, that's a it takes a very very long time, I think, for Worf to to find to be okay. With the fact that he's not completely Klingon, he's not completely human. He's somewhere in between. He and it, like you said somebody said earlier in some ways he is a little bit like spock like he has to find his own medium because he isn't he's a mixture of two different types of 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 beings and uh, that, i think that's a really interesting thing you know with with Worf. and he I, I think a lot of people like Worf because they feel like they can relate in some way to him because we all kind of feel like that sometimes um and some people grow up feeling more like that than others and um, learning to be okay with yourself is is an interesting storyline and I think that is really a through line throughout Worf's whole um, you know 200 and some odd episode run on Star Trek is trying to learn to be okay with who you are even if it's not like everybody else
3: what would the Worf Blu-ray series look like? How long would that be? <laughs> the, fan, <laughs> the fan collective it would be pretty long
0: I bet, yeah so you know, it's interesting to me too. And this isn't anything that's ever highlighted in TNG. It's very subtle, and it's not. It's not really played out very, very strongly. But every interaction that Worf and Data have, for that reason, are I, I think stand out in my mind. I always remember them, both kind of on opposite sides of not fitting in. And every time that they, every time that they interact, like they, they, they have this. Uh. Yeah, I guess we'll move into crew interactions at this point. Uh, they have this kind of uh, uh, interesting relationship where they can kind of understand each other in a very strange way. Um, All
3: I'm thinking is the episode "Liaisons," when Worf is complaining about that alien and like he's rude, and da-da, and, da-da, and data's like, "Huh? Well, you should get along. That sounds exactly like you." <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, but we, you know, that's just th- th- that reminded me of, the, of that relationship. But we also get, uh, I guess, if you want to count Troy and and Worf. Uh, but we get, although although I will say, it's so um, Yes, exactly. When 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 Worf decides to basically give godmothership of Alexander to to Troy, right? I guess that's what you'd call it. I don't know uh, uh, to. To Troy, and they have that great bit about, oh, well, then my mom is going to be your mother-in-law, and uh, I actually is thought this that the was the thing a that you
1: celebrate kind of... by having mud baths
3: together. Yes,
0: <laughs> inappropriate. Got to be one of the most awkward son. scenes ever.
4: <laughs>
3: and they say we don't um... have sexiness. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wait,
0: wait, Philip, hang on. A sixty-five-year-old woman and a six-year-old boy. Is that what, what are you trying to say, Philip? I don't know. In a mud
3: bath. In a mud bath. Yeah. <laughs>
4: With a Klingon um, and a Betazoid. Look,
3: we already had pen pals. We already know the limits we can go here.
4: <laughs> yeah, that's,
0: true, that's true. So, and of course, there's Worf and Riker, um, which I think is probably the strongest Worf relationship in the show. Uh, well, Worf and Picard as well. So what do you guys think? What, what, for TNG relationships with Worf, what do you guys like? What, what, what draws to your mind?
4: I always kind of think of, of Worf and Pulaski. Uh, Mm. he has a really good relationship with her when she's on the show. In fact, he's one of the few characters I feel like on the show during season two that has a good relationship with the new doctor and they have a very interesting relationship. They, you know, um, I think they get along well, she's gruff and, 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 you know, obnoxious and all those things. And Worf kind of likes that. Uh, and she treats him, I think with respect and, um, just like the man he wants to be treated as. And they, for some reason there's a chemistry there with those two characters and he does, there's to me, there's no other chemistry with any other character on the show and her, but her and Worf, I always think that those two, you know, there's, there's a real bond there, which is a very interesting thing. Um, and mainly too, because I think they, they kind they kind of see the world in a, in very similar ways as well. Um, which is is kind of strange, and then I always kind of think of her, him, and Guinan as well. They have a great relationship, and and she's very um, in some ways she'll take him under her wing a little bit and help him, and you know they go shooting together in the holodeck and stuff like that, you know, and stuff. under her hat, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, her huge hat. She can she can come down to his on. level.
2: That's right.
3: <laughs> well, you know, Matthew, forgetting uh, I think Kyle Riker also had a relationship with (laughs) Falaski, speaking of sexiness. So... um, That's true. Oh, God. (laughs) But, no, I think it's true because he gets the tea ceremony and we all know how controversial introducing a new doctor can be, but Worf is like, I don't care about the classic ones. I'm going to... Oh, wait, we're talking about something else.
1: I think with Worf's relationships, it comes down to who's willing to understand him, understand where he's coming from. So... I don't know if I feel like he has a great relationship with any particular person on TNG in the way that he develops relationships on DS nine. But with Picard, there's that respect because Worf naturally has respect for Picard as the leader. And also Picard has an understanding of Klingon culture, which is something that Worf respects and But at the same time, there's sort of this kind of distance, partially because Picard distances himself from his crew. He keeps that separation there. Whereas with Riker, I think Riker's more willing to talk to Worf as as friends, like he does with most of the crew. At the same time, Riker will stand up to Worf in a way that maybe other people wouldn't. Like, I wouldn't see Jordy standing up to Worf, you know, on the same level. <clears throat> Two
2: bridges? Calm down, Mr. Worf. <laughs> Call yourself together, man. You know, and
1: and as, as crazy as the whole Worf-Troy relationship is at the end, kind of out of the blue, and I don't think that was a good pairing, I think, you know, Troy is someone who, by her very training, tries to understand where Worf is coming from. And when you're in a situation like Worf, you're you're going to be drawn to someone who you know that you can talk to and who will actually try to see your side of things.
0: You know, okay. So I have two things to say. The first is about Picard, and while I agree with all of the points you just made, the and I'm going to get the episode wrong because <laughs> I don't do well with episode titles. We got your <laughs> um, back, but Daniel. The one- None of them are in Latin. The one, where he, <laughs> the one where he becomes Chadich, right? That's what the name is. Chadich is... See, yeah. they should have
1: named these episodes like they did on Friends. Then it really would have been called <laughs> the one where Picard becomes a Chadich. <laughs> yeah, that
0: one with Chadich. <laughs> that would um, be so be a lot
1: dude. easier for Daniel. You know, the one where... That's my new project. That I want to rename every
2: episode of TNG in the style of Friends. Uh, we have to do nice. that for the oh. Q episodes
3: for Daniel.
4: So, like, Angel 1 no, is that. No, 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 no. Everybody reason. would know that's what you're the talking about. Yeah, Native a... American <laughs>
2: Indian's stereotype is replaced. Or the Code of Honor, America.
3: the one that traces or <laughs> The one where Beverly is alone on the show.
4: Uh-huh. <laughs> the one where Beverly... <laughs> no. The one where
2: game. the holodeck doesn't work. <laughs> Oh yeah, I oh, I like that one. Oh wow. That was mine. Our plan has failed. <laughs> part 9. Wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> part, part, two. part 1, <laughs> part 2, <laughs> part 3.
0: <laughs> um, but I think there's a real bonding moment that happens in that episode between uh between Worf and Picard and it, it I think their relationship is definitely established on trust. Or I mean, excuse me, respect is what I meant to say. Respect between Picard and 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 Worf. um it's not like a Friendship Kind of right. thing but it's a very Important relationship and I think it's it plays Through all the way until really The last scene I can think of Is um, you know When when he confronts him on the bridge In first contact which is a great Scene go ahead
3: well I think the thing With Picard is and you can Argue that it's either consistent or inconsistent But when it becomes to Picard and Worf it's where is the line For Picard you know how much am I going to allow this officer Worf To be Klingon You know, there are times when, you know, let's, sure, let's take the ship to the Klingon homeworld. Why not? Because you have something important to do. Then there's other times where they're like, no, Wharf, you can't do this.
4: It's only the flagship of the Federation, but we we got no diplomats on board that that weekend.
3: Nobody needs us to fight a war. (laughs) Exactly. We got time. Um, But but there's other times where it's like, no, Wharf, I'm not allowing you to do this. You know, you can't kill Duras and get away with that. You can't um use our resources to investigate the Klingon civil war you know and like i said you can argue whether that's consistent or inconsistent with the way they're writing picard there but there is sort of this line and so it's i think that's sort of the relationship you get throughout the series of of how far he's going to go with worf
1: well i think picard's situation is that picard is willing yeah. to allow worf to do the things that he needs to do to find his identity But at the same time, Picard will draw the line where there are actions that he cannot allow a Starfleet officer to take. And it doesn't have anything to do with it being Worf or the fact that Worf's a Klingon. It's just that that's the rule that would apply to anyone on the crew. And Picard has to say, you can't kill Duras. You know, you just, I can't allow you to do that. But I think that Picard's more willing and I think he's more he actually puts it into action as well in the show, more willing to allow Worf to explore those things than the average Captain, Starfleet Captain, would be of Worf.
4: i heard you that Cisco does the same thing with Gen Zia because of their friendship. He does the same thing with Worf because he's a Klingon. I, there's uh, Captains seem to be very uh all throughout Star Trek. Even Kirk does it with Spock. That's uh, in Fan fiction. They are pretty <laughs> lenient with their crews uh and in, in, in the the specialities that come along with their um with their species. And there's a lot of leeway there. At, which I think is really interesting but, is you know, all the captains are very good at how far can we bend the but rules? But I would argue, Matthew,
1: I mean, that the captains that we've seen Kirk, Picard, Cisco, because they're they're the best of the best captains. They they are that way. But do you think that Jellicoe would be that way? <laughs> I think Jellicoe is maybe representative of the average Starfleet captain, whereas Kirk and Cisco and Picard are not it. representative of Go the average Starfleet. Well, I, Starfleet
3: I don't fighters. think Kirk or Cisco ever allowed a fourth shift. Um, so I think. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's an interesting question though but, but because it goes to the kind of it goes to exploring new civilizations i mean it's not it doesn 't necessarily have to be going out and finding a brand new planet, but it's actually exploring the, this culture through the one person you have on the ship that can do that mm-hmm. and so it's almost like it, it does seem kind of ridiculous when you're watching the episode, hey, why can they just take the ship and go wherever they want but if they're you know if they're going to learn something maybe maybe that's actually kind of part of what starfleet's all about really
4: well and it's funny because that makes more sense than like than ferrying <laughs> diplomats around every five seconds you know that they you know these things would come up like in the klingon empire and and who who would you want there there are friends so send the, the flagship of the federation <laughs> you know that makes so we, we like to
1: joke about the next generation and how the flagship is always just ferrying diplomats from conference to conference right you know in reality as as you mentioned that right here i'm just thinking that I think the problem isn't so much that the flagship of the Federation is doing that. It's that that's the ship that we're following in the show. The premise of the show maybe would be something more like Seekers, the new series Seekers, whereas the flagship of the Federation, that probably would be the job of that ship. It's it's representing the entire Federation. So maybe what we really needed is for our crew to be on more of an exploratory
2: vessel, not on the flagship. The USS Hood, as it explores <laughs> half a parsec behind the Enterprise, you know.
0: <laughs> I get it. Like, I, I get what you're <laughs> They're the, they're well, that I was, I was thinking that. It's crew, like the clean you know, like... cleanup
1: ship that follows Kirk around. Yes. But it would be really dangerous if you were the ship that followed the Enterprise D around because when Picard turns around to run away from something, he'll just slam <laughs> right into you.
3: Oh, that's that fanfic Chris has been writing. Okay. Put it in reverse! Put it in reverse! Oh no, the hood's behind I, I us! I you're saying,
0: but it actually, to me, would make more sense if they never ferried diplomats and only explored because that's the whole purpose of Starfleet. So, like, yeah, that's the, the goal of the organization. Wait, Daniel, so are you saying it makes okay, sense? So
1: that's the goal of the Starfleet organization versus the Federation. The problem is in the 24th century, right. the, the political nature of the galaxy is so dense at that point that you, you can't really get away from that.
0: Which, well, we, As a transition point,
1: we got a little off <laughs> <we laughs> topic there, diplomat.
0: <laughs> I've got two more things I want to hit. Okay. Uh, we talked a little bit about this, but I think it 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 deserves a little more discussion. Um, this is Worf is the gateway to Klingon culture, to the biggest of all aliens. If you talk to somebody on the on the street, what are they going to know? They're going to know Kirk, Spock, and Klingons. That's what they're going to know. And we learn we we get the beginning of Klingons. You know, really, uh, you know, really learning their culture in in some of the movies, but then we get into season one, and then and then we move forward, and into Deep Space Nine. Now, I'm not a huge Klingon fan. Um, I've said it before; that's that's not news. I remember as a kid, like watching it, and I'm like, oh, this is a Klingon episode. I can't see what's <laughs> going on in their ships; it's too dark. I kind of don't care. Uh, I've I've grown to appreciate them more now. Uh, but still, it's not my my favorite thing, uh, and it, and I recognize its importance. But soon after, Warf became very popular. It was we're going to do two or three Klingon episodes every season. Yeah. It was very very vital to the show. Um, is this a good thing? Is this maybe they should have mellowed out a little bit? How do how do you guys feel about that?
1: I'm with you, Daniel. I I don't care that much about the Klingons either, and. I had the same feeling, especially when I do rewatches, when I'm going through TNG, and like, okay, and here's another Klingon episode. It's it's almost, for me, the way a lot of fans feel about the Ferengi episodes on Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's maybe not quite to that extent, but I don't know. It just, especially on The Next Generation, the Klingon culture is so cardboard cutout that it's just not very interesting to me.
4: It's funny, because usually Chris and I are on the same page but i i really i just i guess i appreciate the fact that they were going to take an alien species and at least they started this in dng and then deep space nine picked it up but that they're going to tell us something about it and and yeah it's, it's kind of cardboard cut up but it only is because we think well, of it as well being no
1: it's not it's, they show us so, all klingons know, are warriors all like, klingons want to die in battle. <laughs> All well, Klingons uh, drink uh, blood wine. Yeah,
4: I I get that, but you know all Vulcans are logical, and but they didn't are make any effort to flesh and, out the I mean, Vulcan that's culture. But like they
1: were uh, trying to flesh out the Vulcan right, culture. Right?
4: I, no, I understand. But I'm I'm my point though is is that um, they at least started so that we could move forward. Then you know it, they they had to start somewhere, and you know. we're— Ronald D. E. Moore himself mm-hmm. was was frustrated yeah. with himself for creating this culture and, and changed a lot of it once he got to do Space Nine and, and did a lot to, to, to kind of fix some mm-hmm. of the mistakes he thought he made. But I just appreciated that at least Star Trek was trying to take an alien, especially from TOS. You know, Klingons are one of the few things from TOS that are there from the very beginning and to tell us more about it you know we and we really didn't know that much about it and i i really liked that is it a little bit, is it a little bit cardboard cutout yeah but to me it it i don't know i just i thought i found it fascinating especially with the way it started to link with um you know, Kittimer and and that's where we had signed the accords. Especially yeah. once we got you know Star Trek six, and and kind of piecing all that kind of stuff together. To me, that was interesting. So I just yeah. and appreciated I think that part. If you
3: think about it, go through TOS and all the TOS movies and all the Klingon appearances. You'll never hear the word honor, because that's not an original series thing. That is TNG created. That is the TNG created sure. Klingon culture. And so oh, yeah. you know the the cardboard cutout, if you want to call it that. Um, but I mean, I don't know if you if you um, watch um, you know the, the, what I consider the real first Klingon episode with the Riker <laughs> exchange program. You know those aren't those are those are different Klingons, and they aren't just all rah rah rah. Um, you know, you get one with daddy issues. You know, you get one who wants to have group sex. You know, you get all kind of Klingons you want. <laughs> um, but but I think you know throughout throughout that we have to establish this species because I mean, almost in some ways, and I don't mean, mean to, to belittle to at all but in some ways none of that previous stuff counts we're almost building the species from the ground up other than we know that they're you know like to kill things so we get that and then establishing their political system the klingon hat council blah 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 blah. so three seasons later we've established (laughs) all that now we have to get Mm -hmm. into the the but but i guess it's a difference between being on a starship and then in another series not being in a starship we only see people who are on ships And those are only going to be your warrior classes. And so when you get more planet-side, then that's when you have an opportunity to explore more.
4: I think that's the big thing is really – because especially on TNG, we're only seeing a small segment of the population that we're going to deal with. So we're going to deal with the political class and the yeah. warrior class yeah. because they're on the ships, and and so and that's like that, saying you only that, see a certain
3: kind of Starfleet, star yeah, around the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> right. No,
1: I I agree. I agree. That's how yeah, it played exactly. out. Uh, it's just for me the the question was Daniel explained how he felt when he when a Klingon episode comes along, and it, it the writers could have explored it more. You know, they have a blank piece of paper in front of them when they write a story. They could have written stories that took us to those areas of the society a little bit more and built upon that. But We did see a Klingon scientist. Yeah, it it feels like, (laughs) Doctor me, the reason I feel this way when the episodes come along is it's kind of like you know what you're going to get when the Klingon episode comes on. And so if you're not really a big fan of Klingons,
2: then... Those episodes don't necessarily grab you. Well, with the frequency, with the frequency that the episodes were coming up in in Next gen, I would o- almost not be surprised if if there had been a movie after Nemesis, if it was the Klingon movie. It's like you know who we haven't talked more about, Klingons, and let's let's uh, let's <laughs> dedicate a feature. You know, then they finally don't have to write in why Worf is there. It's why is everyone else there. Well, we've already pitched the spinoff series where it's so, those wacky Klingons
3: with Worf and Alexander so and scene, Kalar.
1: That scene would be Picard saying, Worf, what the hell are all these Klingons doing on this?
0: <laughs> oh, I, I actually I saw it the opposite way in my head. Where, are they falling out where, like tribbles on Picard while he's asking <laughs> this?
2: Someone close that hatch. Where,
0: where Picard is, is talking to Worf and he's like, Worf. What the hell are we all doing here? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: I I don't know. I don't have that page of the script, captain.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, this this moves us to our final topic. Let's let's get into it because I know we all kind of want to discuss this. Um and we might we might all have, you know, uh, very different opinions about this, but of course, after TNG, uh, we got Generations immediately after, so it's it's kind of part of TNG. It doesn't really count as anything really extended beyond it. And like I said, Worf doesn't get... He doesn't get to keep nice things. So he gets a chair and it gets immediately destroyed. That's that's just how his, his luck works. He you think that promoted. was
1: Troy trying to get back at him after their relationship ended?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Never she heard she went theory. to such
1: extremes. She was willing to <laughs> destroy the entire ship to make sure he did not have a chair. That's funny. I've never heard. <laughs> that I theory.
0: too could never
3: say goodbye. Yeah, boom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we get we get generations. Of course, he's still on the Enterprise. We get first contact, and I think we all can agree, uh, uh, you know, fairly straightforward that it makes sense for him to show up on the Defiant. Tough little ship, right? Uh, it's a great, it's a great scene. It's a fantastic scene.
3: Don't and... know how to fire torpedoes.
0: Well, <laughs> I'm just off screen, you had the
2: Bozeman Two A, you know. Uh, don't. Oh, yeah, that's don't. right. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: and then, okay, so let's talk about Worf's appearances in Insurrection and and in Nemesis, but probably mostly Insurrection. We'll spend our time on. Um, as we were talking about before, the, the show, Picard, literally. Dismisses Wharf in the middle of his explanation of why he would happen to be around the Briar <laughs> Patch or or whatever, and and I feel like I think that was I don't know I don't, I've never done extensive research on this and maybe one of you has, but I feel like this was the writer's idea of a wink and a nod and a joke to the to the viewers. Oh, I But think it comes so. off as completely insulting. Like it's like well, who cares? It Doesn't matter. Know, I, I think you're right,
1: and but it's not a dis- unless. I'm forgetting the scene. It's not Picard dismissing him. It's they like, Worf wanders off walking as he explains. Well, I happen to be here to attend this conference on the so-and-so call. And then it just fades out. And I always took it as the writers going, look guys, Worf's in the movie. <laughs> we don't really have an explanation for it. He's it's, here. It's
0: not though, because we just did Insurrection on <laughs> Earl Grey and I watched it for that. And they're walking along. They're just—it's just a tracking shot, like we've we established many times in Star Trek. They're walking along the corridor. Mr. Wolf, what are you doing here? Yeah. Right, and he starts explaining it to him, mm-hmm. and then yeah, Jordy, Jordy interrupts right. his Data. Yeah. Okay, yeah, he yeah. interrupts sure. him. So, and then, and, and like Picard, like literally, puts up his hand, is like, "Whatever." I don't Jordy's do. like, <laughs> "Sir, I have What's, a McGuffin. No one right cares. Here. You're here. I need you to this man. MacGuffin <laughs> and talk There's only about, about <laughs> this. <laughs> we need to gather."
1: So the the problem is. I don't know really how the writers would handle it, because the reality is that you put Worf on Deep Space Nine. He has his own life going on at that point in time. You can't do a Next Generation movie without Worf. I mean, as a fan, I don't want to see a Next Generation movie without Worf. I don't want the writers to say, we know that you like Worf and he was part of this crew for seven years, but we can't put him in the movie because he's over here on the station doing this other thing. You know, so... I like to laugh about how he ends up in the movies because it doesn't make any sense that he could possibly be there every time, but I'm glad he's there because I wouldn't want to have the TNG movie without this character that I've known for seven years on the show.
3: And and I don't want to jump ahead, but we were talking about, and i would never thought about this, but insurrection takes place at about the beginning of seventh season of Deep Space Nine. So it's like, Mm -hmm. hey, Worf, how the hell are you doing? Like, my wife just died. Never mind. Let's go into the plot. You know, I mean, you know, it's we get nothing of him bringing his character or of anything that happens. So I just, I mean, well, it's like Patrick
1: Stewart said. Look, we can have that scene where Wharf explains why he's in the movie, or we can have my mambo scene, but we can't have both. So.
4: You you're completely right. It literally <laughs> makes no sense. Gen Zia has just <laughs> died on Deep Space 9 like a few months ago on the show like uh Tears of the Prophets was uh you know had had aired and then they're jumping into season 7 like doesn't I mean, well make there, any we, sense. well we that that it's not mentioned. Oh, Worf, we're so sorry. Well, they didn't know, your and your you know why they just didn't died. know. Like, <laughs> not know where like, you going. Yeah, would it make sense to be like like Worf is 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 visiting the Enterprise because he needs some time away from That's Deep true. Space Nine? That would be a great reason. Matthew, died? I'm surprised that the
1: Picard show? didn't just say, Worf, what the hell are you doing here? Get off my ship! You didn't invite us to the yeah, wedding. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. What's so that ring I knew that's where for. you guys were going with it.
4: Exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I give I, Worf and Dax. They weren't expecting to get married in the first place. That happened within a week. You know, who they, knows? They were the only I mean, wedding listen, in the quadrant. It's, it's very. If, if we have that holographic technology where it
2: looks like you're standing right on the bridge, we <laughs> can come up with holographic technology to make it look like your friends from the Enterprise are standing
4: <laughs> in your wedding well. ceremony. <laughs>
3: The, the, what, what...
4: And you know the only oh, yeah. reason they weren't yeah. there there. Well, plus they have presents fortune to have them oh, on there mean. for five seconds. No, well,
3: <laughs> I, I think the, the way that we fixed it in our insurrection episode is that you just changed the line to this, right? Worf, what the hell are you doing here? Well, I just came from Trill for the funeral of – oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, <okay. laughs> that would make sense. Anyway. Yeah
0: yeah of course like we all understand it as a production issue right it's it's budgetary it's all of these other actors how of course you get them what's interesting to me like what i like to think about is like if this episode were produced today like a post avengers kind of episode where it's common for these actors like that's what i like to think of like what if star trek was like the avengers and they had all these crossovers and like avengers uh, this is way kind of a tangent, but it's a very packed movie but you get elements of every character that's not a problem and so why can't g- give Worf 30 seconds of screen time in that movie where he doesn't have a pimple like that's it it's not hard to do <laughs> and i i'm not a writer so i don't know I, I imagine it was very challenging for them to try to figure out okay well when exactly in deep space nine does this take place and all that so
1: maybe maybe one of the greatest benefits of Worf being an insurrection is actually a setup for the wedding scene in *Nemesis*, so that he, with a hangover, could say, "Irving Berlin," <laughs> <laughs> because without the whole sing along about the crew members and the composers, of course, in *Insurrection*, that couldn't have happened. It wouldn't; you would have no payoff.
2: Well, and I mean, while we all we've all established that we are fine with how inter- Worf was introduced in in a first contact. I want to know is why couldn't like miles have been on the Defiant at that moment. I mean, it would have been so easy (laughs) and so plot point to pull him in. Eh, not really. Cool. I mean, I Worf was the
1: commander that. of the Defiant, so it makes sense that he he's the captain of the ship. He's going to be there. Miles' job is to chase voles out of <laughs> the places where they're hiding in the to station. Keep like, the
3: hamster wheel going on the Defiant? Or how does it run No, that's happen? true, but it, it did feel
1: a well,
2: lot Well, That's of times... what you don't
1: know. See, on Deep Space Nine, they didn't tell you this. The, 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 the core <laughs> actually stopped working. They had to eject the power core, and Miles built that giant vol wheel down there where the core <sighs> used to be. And that's how they power the station. He's
2: he's a miracle worker. He he truly is. No, and and I understand. You know, it's it's not as as a high priority an actor, but it still would have been fun. You wouldn't even had to see him. You know, again, and and tr- actually, that's true. They probably shouldn't have not put him in first contact because, per Miles Must Suffer, he would have definitely been assimilated.
4: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, and it, it's it's funny that the to you know. Because in Nemesis, Worf is just back. Yeah, on the Same episode, console, is, like, same job. Like, Space Nine didn't. Yeah, which which is which is very frustrating to me that that the TNG writers of the films continued to treat it as like this kind of like episodic thing, and they really weren't touching into what they had yeah. already going on. It's like they were afraid I mean, to touch it, in. Was on it like, Space Nine? Did he at say all? something like oh, um, "I got which, sick
3: of being a diplomat" or something? I can't remember the line something like
4: that yeah it's i think he says yeah. something like it wasn't yeah. for me or whatever uh, but you know it, it's just the fact that though he would go for being the ambassador to earth f- from the klingon empire you know working with martok like w- why at that point wouldn't he maybe be you know uh on a klingon ship or something like that it just i don't know the logic of it really just breaks you know, down I, pretty badly um i don't mind it's, it's that they don't
1: tie into things so much in the movies just because again. They can't really. I mean, you're making the movies for everyone, for the general audience as well. At least you're hoping that the general audience is going to go and see these movies. So you can't get too inside baseball on that with what's going on on in the different TV series. So it's a TNG movie. The general public. The thing is, TNG has the biggest audience. That's the show that the most people watch. And so you'll have a lot of people going to that movie who know that Worf's a character on The Next Generation. And they don't know what happened on Deep Space Nine. And mm. so I, I I think that for us, it would be awesome if they tied that in. But from the standpoint of the writers in the studio, I think it's the the best course of action is to do what they do, which is just, he's here, and you don't need to know the fact that he was the ambassador. <laughs> and now he's just back on the ship, just like he always used to be.
0: I and agree wholeheartedly, but I, I, my final point is I just wanted to say we do see him as a diplomat in all good things. So it could kind of tie into that as well, a little bit, I guess. Anyways, guys, we've been talking forever, <laughs> and I don't want to leave us on a cliffhanger here, but. Uh, Will we see I Lieutenant Worf suggest- again? <laughs> you mean Lieutenant I would Commander? Suggest- That's right, Lieutenant Commander. <laughs> ba, 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 exactly bam, exactly bam, bam, will he bam, be able bam, bam, to jump bam, and get bam, that badge? Bam, bam, no bam, bam. one ever bam. has <laughs> <laughs> alright guys it's been great talking Worf and I'm sure we'll do it again soon uh, but it's not the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM so take a listen at what you may have missed on a lot of the other shows here on the network
3: previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit <speaks> <laughs> they, they look at the original series
2: episodes and they see thematically what it is that works and they pick that in order to explore like a different side of it earl gray no do you guys seriously <laughs> no not know why they have red and green light no.
0: not all of us have read ships of the line okay no 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 no. no wait, wait is this a ships of the line
3: i'm only in
2: like chapter no, one no
0: <laughs> i'm talking about like real
4: ships today have um, you
0: been on a ship darren
4: the orb them being adversarial i, I don't think necessarily was the only way they could have gone Um, It makes for a great story, but it just made me wonder, just an impossible universe, what would have happened?
1: I think it's important, though, that she, as the religious leader, is not sold on the idea that this outsider is their emissary.
2: To the journey!
4: Endgame cannot make my list.
1: (laughs) I I don't (laughs) have as much hatred for Endgame as you (laughs) or, apparently, everybody else does.
4: Oh, not that I'm bitter or anything, no.
2: Warp 5.
1: So I would argue in the case of what... Paxton is doing here in firing a weapon at San Francisco which luckily missed and went into the bay and I don't know if I guess George and Gracie aren't there right in the 22nd century so they're okay but
3: the ready room
0: they could have really diverged with what we knew of Will and made Thomas's own unique character I mean he is but like if we can get multiple Burial episodes. (laughs) You know, why can't Thomas Riker have more than one episode?
2: Mission Log, a Ronberry Star Trek podcast.
3: And he happens to figure it all out. That's enough to drive an audience. No, we need
0: to get Will Wheaton on the show because I will defend Wesley in this episode against the guy who played Wesley.
2: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Commentary Trek stars.
4: There was an interview, I think, with, with JJ where they were talking to him and he was saying that you know, oh, my, my dad was friends with Nicholas Meyer back in the day. I remember going to Meyer's house when I was a kid.
0: He saw he had a whole bunch of really cool things in his house, and I thought
4: I would like to break some of these.
1: Literary treks. But I do. Like I want to see cover. Spock with a perm. Oh gosh! Well, I what, think what a, I've got a Photoshop God. project in my future with this cover right here. Melodic treks.
4: It's like, oh, this wow. happened. Oh oh this is so good <laughs> It was no it was joke. just that amazing how she,
3: uh, reacts.
1: And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm
0: Please support our sponsor, Audible.com, who helps us bring Earl Grey to you each week. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read, but never thought you'd have time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from, and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today, catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read, and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Earl Grey and all of Trek FM. And lastly, there's one more way you can directly help us keep Earl Grey coming to you each week, and that is for becoming a patron of Trek FM. By visiting www.patreon.com trekfm, you can choose among various pledge levels and receive rewards for becoming a Trek FM patron. These rewards let you inside the observation lounge of our network and make it possible for us to distribute all of our great content. So please become a Trek FM patron and visit www.patreon.com slash Trek today. I would suggest to our listeners that you, well, you should listen to all of the orb of course, but listen to, uh, to, to this, the following orb and guys, um, I want to say thank you uh, for coming on the show. And Chris, of course, I mean, you could list a thousand things, but just give everybody <laughs> an idea of where they can find you, you know, elsewhere.
1: Well, I'm the publisher of the network, as most people listening to this probably know. So uh, you can find me on lots of different shows on the network. I do the Orb with Matthew. Matthew and I also do literary treks. I do the Enterprise Show, Warp 5, Continuing Mission, Fan Series, Matterstream Science, Hyper Channel, News... Uh, the Star Trek Axinar podcast with Alec Peters. And then there's the Ready Room where you can hear all these guys because we rotate different groups of panels all the time on there and we talk about all five series. So if you only listen to Earl Grey and you don't know all the other shows on the network, be sure to catch those. And then if you want to chat with me about Star Trek, the best place to find me is on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with a Y. Or come over and join our new listeners group on Facebook, which is a replacement for our forums that used to be on the website. That's called the Babel Conference. Just type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search bar in Facebook. Or go to our website and click Discussion, and that'll take you over there. It is a closed group, so you need to click Join. And uh, then I will let you into the group. And I hang around there a good bit as well. So if you want to talk in more than 140
4: characters, (laughs)
0: you can find me over there. Excellent. Well, what about you,
4: Matthew? Well, uh, Chris already listed where you can find me and the shows on the network, but uh, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. Uh, so just give me an at reply. Let me know when you're following me. And uh, of course, I'm uh, very active as well on our uh, Babel conference on Facebook. So I hope you'll uh, come and join us there. All right. And Philip, remind the listeners where they can find you as
3: well. Uh, they can find me on Twitter, on my Handle is NC Public Servant. That's NC, like no cover of a book to judge.
0: (laughs) Uh, And Darren, of course.
2: Uh, Twitter, again, is the best for me. That's username Dr. Sci Fi, D R S C I F I.
0: And Twitter for me as well. Uh, You can find me at 1UPDAN, and that is the number one, not the word. All right. Well, guys, it's been great talking wharf with uh with our ho- with our fellow co-hosts from the orb um i'm and since we've done that i'm actually gonna head to deep space nine and go to the promenade and see uh, see what's going on at quarks so uh i should hope to catch you guys there engage
2: make it so live long and prosper fire